My name is Andrew Gallegos. And I'm Jen Gallegos. And we are your hosts of the Headed Home Podcast. Over the past few years, we've created episodes discussing growth, strategies for life obstacles, and have interviewed some inspirational people. Moving forward, we're going to shift our focus a bit from us and our story to other top producing professionals in the industry that I work in, which is real estate and mortgages. We want to find out how other people accomplish their goals, overcome difficulties, and achieve growth and success in this crazy world. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Head at Home podcast. We're going to have a fun one today. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to get on for a while. I've been watching him and I really appreciate you having me as a part of it. We are very excited. Super excited. Yes, we've got Lori Abbey here. And I'm going to give you a formal introduction here in just a second. But as you know, we're your hosts, Andrew and Jen Gallegos. And excited for this episode. I think we're going to learn a lot. Before we get started, I do got to say, if I'm a little slow, we were in Nashville for three days, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, got back Monday. Well, we got back about 48 hours ago. And I think I ate my body weight in Nashville hot chicken. So still kind of getting through that food coma. So Dude, if I'm a little slow. That like woo. on Saturday morning. So much fun. I swear to God, I had chicken fingers or boneless wings and queso for breakfast. Like the gr- I like actually makes me physically ill to think about how much food we ate th- this weekend. Yeah, but guys, the good news is, and I know you know this, that when you're on vacation... Those calories literally don't count. So it's like non-existent. They don't count. Nope. But it was, it was weird because usually we'll travel, like if we go on a weekend or something, we'll travel back on like Sunday night or like Monday night, you know? So you have like a a transition into like your next day. We got back into town at like 8.30 in the morning and then like decided to work a full day. full day. And so we were like walking around the whole day, like confused about like our identities and like who, who we am were. I? Yeah. I'm a, oh, is that that's something that I experienced many days. I thought that was just age, but. <laughs> no. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was an identity shift for sure. Nashville's an awesome place, by the way. What was your favorite part? Oh, man. I mean, it was definitely, I would say, like, the music for me was super cool. Were you there? So we were there for the weekend, pretty much. We were there for a weekend. Yeah. Saw a Bronco game out there. Yeah. Which wasn't great. But the food, the music was awesome. And the vibe. Like, I would say just the energy of the people Mm -hmm. there was just, like, positive. Maybe that was the music. I don't know. It makes people happy. But super cool vibes. The last time. Maybe the fact that their football team... And maybe that's it. Yes. <laughs> maybe seriously. They, yeah. Maybe that was it. The, the last time we went though, it was 20, it was like 2015. We went for one of our close friends wedding and we had just had our first kid and she was like six or seven months old. And we're, you know, we're like, Oh, we'll take her to Nashville. So we had like an entirely different experience that time. So this was like fun to be able to like actually enjoy Nashville and, you know, not cart a newborn baby around or a six month old around the bar. I've changed things. I have a 25 year old daughter and now I travel with her again. I started traveling with her when she was five weeks old. I started taking her places. The experience in the middle was a little tougher. 25 (laughs) is 
great. Five weeks is great. That one, two, three, where they can walk, they don't want to yeah. sit still. It it gets tough. It gets tough. I mean, you do it because once you get there, it's fun. But it is a it is a very different experience. You know, I've never of all the gazillions of places I traveled, and I used to be a national sales director and VP of sales and marketing for that country, and I've never been to Nashville ever. Interesting. You gotta go. You gotta go. I highly recommend it. I feel like you would like it today. Yeah. Well, really? with the big hair and all, I think I fit in well. <laughs> you fit right in. Well, let me give a let me give a formal introduction, Lori, to you. So our guest today, like I said, is Lori Abbey. She is the CEO of Mile High Modern Real Estate in Denver. She has over 20 years of sales experience, over 10 years of full-time real estate experience. She is a multi-year five-star real estate agent award recipient a multi-year DMAR Diamond Award recipient, a double black diamond 5280 top real estate producer. She has a huge presence on a variety of different social media platforms. You may have also seen her as being featured on Good Morning America, HGTV, and Nightline. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That girl sounds way more impressive than I am. Wow. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember this. We actually worked together on a transaction probably eight or nine years ago. When you I was were, brand new, I was probably a year or two in. I yeah. think, and yeah. to, to be fair, if you don't remember him, he you had hair back then. <laughs> and by hair, I mean like you were attempting to- I was holding it. on to a few <laughs> strands at the top. Yeah. Well, I know your name. I mean, yeah. I've known your name for a long time. And at the very beginning, I was so, you know, you're just scared because I had come from being a big wig in a different industry. And then I'm a newbie in this industry. And then you have people's financial livelihoods at stake. So it was very scary the first couple of years in, in real estate, wanting to do a good job for people. So I am sorry that I don't remember you and your fledgling hair. <laughs> well, no. I knew your name. I, I only right. on the name. So it must have been in my mind somewhere. Well, it was a long time ago. And I think we Did connected it on it went well. Yeah, it went super smooth. And I, I met you at the closing table. But uh, yeah, I know. I think we had connect, connected shortly after that on social media. So it's been kind of cool. Because I've been able to kind of watch you, you know, grow throughout your career. And one thing that I noticed about you is that you're constantly seem to be pushing the boundaries of you know what you're capable of in in business and producing and building a team and putting out content on social media so let's start there like where does that drive come from that's my dad was just talking to me about this the other day because uh he said i was having this issue with some numbers and whether i was number one on something and number two and and it's like three or four people are like, who cares? What difference does it make? And my dad's like, she cares. She's been like this since she was four years old. So she does care. And, and so I was like, really, since I was four? So they started telling me some stories. So it's, it's something I've always had. It, so you must be born with something like that. But then I think also, so I think it's probably twofold. So I think I was born with a little bit of that sort of competitive, always wanting to be better side. When I was three years old, I actually ran away from home because I didn't run away. I wanted to go to a friend's house and my parents wouldn't take me. So I literally walked down the highway and, and somebody picked me up. The, the manager of the trailer park that I lived in picked me up off the side of the highway and brought me back home. So I just have always been very independent and always wanting to do whatever I wanted to do. But like when I was four years old, my mom was telling me the other day, we would go to the grocery store and other kids are picking out whatever coloring books and stuff. And I wanted to 
get these workbooks so that I could try to get to the sixth grade level in reading or spelling or whatever. So I've always been a little bit crazy like that since I was young. And then I also think growing up in the trailer park environment, you see like TV shows, you see this, you see that, and you're like, hey, these people have this lifestyle. How are they different than I am? How did they get that lifestyle? How come there's this lifestyle and that lifestyle and how do you get from this one to that one? What does that look like? And how are they different? Are they smarter? Are they better? Are they, do they just work harder? How do you do it? So I just have always had this fascination with getting to the next level, whatever that next level is and figuring out who's above me in anything, whatever it is. And then what are they doing better and differently than I am doing? Because I want to do that too. I want to be better. So every day I have that drive to be, to be better. And I'm not, again, not a hundred percent sure where it came from, but it's been a thing. I think that's a, a really interesting point. It's one thing Andrew and I talk a, a lot about with our kids or about our kids, because I would say like we both grew up and, and really had great families, but we were not, we were not brought into the world into a really wealthy family. And we were kind of like, on our own, you know, uh, when we were adults and had to kind of like make it. And it's interesting now being a parent, and I, I'm, I'm sure you, you probably have had similar thoughts about this, but like, I feel like so many of my lessons have come from like having to figure stuff out. Like you mm-hmm. said, like figuring out who, like who knows this and like, how can I how can I learn what they know so that like I can do what they do, right? And so it's interesting like having kids and being like, how can we teach them those lessons even though they're brought up in a different situation than we yeah. were brought up in? And that's something I'm always trying to be thoughtful about and and struggle with because you really do. I, I think there's just so many lessons in that when you have to like self-make, right? There are lessons in the struggle. There really are. And and I agree with you. I'm sure we're in that similar situation where you then you have more and then you want your children to have that beautiful life that you've worked so hard to be able to give them. And then you have all these same conversations with yourself and with your spouse. And and that is, geez, if I take away the struggle, then how, what gives them that kind of excitement and incentive to get to that next level. And so, yes, it, it is a struggle. And I think it's been, I think that same struggle has been around for probably a gazillion years. Like I, I was yeah. reading something the other day, there is a book out right now that kind of addresses this. And it talks about how generations kind of go back and forth where you have yeah. the one that's more poor and then they struggle and they make it. And then the, the next one sort of has a little bit more and they don't have that same whatever, and it just kind of goes back and forth. But I do think, and you guys I know are figuring this balance out that I'm working on too, you can still instill those same values where you always want to be a better person and how do you get to that next level and how do you, and and one of our favorite sayings has always been a couple things too. We have two, well, we have many, but two of the ones that kind of apply to this are to those who much has been given, much is expected. And then with great great power comes great responsibility. So if you have these things, you better do something with them. If you have this ability to be a little bit more fortunate and not have to struggle all day, every day, you better take that and you better be rescuing dogs, being good to the people around you, getting to the next level in your career, taking that education and doing something with it, helping the environment, et cetera. So they might be struggling in a different way. 
But I think if you create that mindset of, hey, I have all of this, I have a responsibility to use the things that I have to make the world better. It's different. It's not the same, yeah. not the same struggle. They, I don't think a lot of people are as tough as I am or probably as you guys are from having grown up like that. So I think I have a really a toughness. Like I wouldn't want to mess with me if I met me in a dark alley and pissed me off kind of thing. But um, mm-hmm. but I think that toughness comes from that. But then there's there's a different kind of strength. You can have toughness or you can have sort of a mental strength that comes from just wanting to, to do good. Yeah. Well, and I think a resiliency too, you know, and I think that's something that you can kind of carry over from a a tougher upbringing, you know, and you can carry that into business and your, your perspective on what is hard is different, you know, because you maybe dealt with really hard things in your life. Whereas, you know, if you've got a hard transaction going on or a hard conversation to have, it's, 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 it's not that bad, but I love the idea of, you know, kind of flipping that mindset, changing, changing the perspective within our kids to say, Hey, you know, this does come with responsibility and here's some values that we can kind of focus on to, you know, make them successful in a, in a challenging world as well. So I like that. Yeah. And to take what we've given them and what we've built and to do something nice with it, to do something good and not just to, to squander the opportunity that they, that they have been blessed with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's absolutely, well, it's kind of a mindset too, you know, in a sales industry, you know, which a lot of our listeners are in, we all kind of face that that situation where we set a goal, we reach the goal. And then it's like, now what, you know, and the same things that were pushing us to reach that goal are now maybe not pushing us anymore. So we have to be philosophical, we have to be strategic on creating that why, you know, and there the why is always there. Sometimes you have to dig a little bit to find your new why. But I think that's an interesting thought too. No, you really do. Like even there have been a couple of months this year where, man, these last couple of years have been hard. They've been, yeah. again, wonderful, a blessing. Like we've all been very financially blessed, I think, over the last couple of years because the industry has been so fast moving and we've all been just bombarded with clients and business. And, and that's great. And, you know, sometimes you complain you're too busy. And then you also have to remember, wow this is something that's going to last for a short period of time. So I need to take advantage of it. So then after all that, after I had a great year, after all that sort of this year, I've been kind of like really struggling. Like how does this matter in life and what am I doing? And anyone can sell this house to this person. And what do they even care if it's me or somebody else? Like what's the point of me doing this kind of thing. And, um, and so I did, go through that a decent amount this year. And it's good because you, you get to that point. Okay. I was, I made this amount of money. I did this. I got to this level, sold this many houses, did all these things, won these awards. Ah, okay. Now what happens? And so you're right. You do have to come up with, you don't come up with a new why you go back to. So what I feel like I did was remember the passion that I had at the beginning and go back to the basics, go back to doing things like when you probably, when you first met me, you're excited to learn everything. You want to know everything about just like when I was four years old and I wanted to get to the sixth grade level and I wanted to do this. I had to go back and shift my mindset to getting a new curiosity about it. And Hey, how do I learn now that the market's shifting? I want to learn everything about all these loan products. I want to make sure this is a good time for my clients. Is there a better place for someone to buy than this part of town? And and I once I got back to the the passion and the basics and knowing everything and 
remembering that I'm doing it so that all of our clients can build wealth. I mean, this is 90% of millionaires come from home equity and for, or from, from real estate, I guess, not home equity as much as, as real estate. And so remembering that I can be a part of someone having $600,000 in 10 years that they can put down on their dream home, pay off their bills or whatever else. And, and so really thinking, how am I, how can I do this the best I can for this client, which, you know, I think I've always had that mindset, but going backwards, refreshing it and coming back out, it just has, it's, it feels different again. Like now I'm like, okay, this is different market. I want to know everything and I want to make sure I'm doing right by everybody. And I'm at the top of my game, but I, for a couple of months, I was like, (sighs) yeah, well, and, and you probably come out of it a better professional, you know, and you have more expertise to share. I remember kind of going through that same thing this year. And I would say like the biggest obstacle for me talking to clients has been fear you know, and there's just, it, it, and then we have to look at ourselves and like, yeah, like this, some of this fear is warranted, you know, and how do we not necessarily like talk people out of fear, but make sure that we're giving education to make sure that that fear is warranted, you know, yeah, and so go, yep. yeah. So going back and educating yourself, you know, so that you can educate your clients, you know, I think is a good thing, but yeah, that's, that's too far. I, I also think that one of the things like I've noticed like just in myself, but I've read a lot about this too, is like when you reach like a certain goal, there's almost like a letdown. Like you, the feeling that you get from like working hard at, you know, a goal and like learning and like trying to figure it all out, right? When you're like holding on for dear life because you're trying to figure this thing out. The joy that comes in that moment is different than the joy that comes when you like reach the goal or you get an award. And I think when you start, you know, whether it's in your career, your life or whatever, and you're successful or you're you're working towards success, you think that you're going to reach some sort of like happiness by getting that award. And really the happiness comes from like we have been talking about, like that struggle and figuring it out and learning. And so I think that's just... I think that's been like a learning for us is that yeah. it's not, it's not like the award that's going to like make you happy. Yes. That's don't, isn't there some saying I know there is about enjoying the journey. Yes, because it totally. Really yeah. is, it, it is that figuring out it's the struggling. It's the going from this to this, to this. And mm-hmm. then that pride that comes from, okay, okay. I did just learn this and I made it to this level and I helped my client do this wonderful thing. That's really benefited their yeah. life. And this, so exciting. And you, and you keep doing this and then you reach that pinnacle that you always thought, okay, that's where I finally made it. And then you get there and you go, well, this isn't as fun as all of the things where I helped this person. And I totally. person. And I did that. Then you, you get there and you're like, okay, here's my trophy. Okay. But now what, you know, now what? It is that journey. What's that quote? Do you guys know? You know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. You know marry marry about. the process, divorce the result. I think it's uh oh, right. Like, Mar- no, it's rate and oh. the, the rate and the um house. <laughs> <laughs> marry the rate, divorce the rent, or marry the house, divorce the rate. But no, marry the process, divorce the result. I is is what I was thinking from that James Clear. Oh, but, um, that's not the quote I'm thinking of. But you did bring something else up that I do think is really important. When I first started dating my daughter's 
father, my baby daddy, I call him. He's still a very good friend and, and one of my top clients. So when I first started dating him, he would make me, he would, we would read these books on Gandhi and Buddha and all this stuff. And Gandhi, I would probably am the only person in the world. No, no, this is Buddhism, but the, we had fights about both Gandhi and Buddhism, and it's that's probably why we're not together because we could even fight about those types of things. And again, he's a great friend, so if he's watching this, he'll agree with all of these things. But in Buddhism, one of the things is have no expectations, right? And I would fight him on that all the time. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I need to mm. tell you what I expect from you. I need to this and that. That's how we get to that next place is we expect certain things in life, blah, blah, blah. And I, and as someone who grew up in small town, Iowa, I was looking at it differently. Now that I've gotten older, because I really did fight him on it. And I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> now that I've gotten older, now I completely understand it because it's what you just said, which is divorce the result. You want to go in this direction, but then you're open to, so you you make a plan, but then you're open to how to, to getting there. As long as you're heading in that direction, you're being the best you can be on that path. It may look different than you think. So if you let go of the expectation of what it's going to be like and just enjoy the moment that you're in, life will feel very different. If, if I say, hey, I'm going to marry someone at age 30 and they're going to have blonde hair and we're going to have four kids. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so then I, all I do is go out there and look for that blonde haired guy and someone who wants to have four kids. <laughs> well, we're going to have a big problem because I'm going to overlook a lot of things in trying mm-hmm. to get that specific result. I'm going to probably overlook a lot of red flags. I'm going to overlook guys that might've been better guys for me, but I set yeah. this expectation and then let go of some, I, I missed all of the journey there because I, I let that go. I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying it in a way that no, you totally. are. Yeah, no, you totally are. That's funny. We were just having that conversation the other day mm-hmm. about, yeah, letting go of expectation. And I had the, ex- I'm like still way earlier in the process. Like, no, you have to have expectations. <laughs> like how that's like, really what, that's the book. Literally yeah, probably in Nashville, I think it we was were. like three days ago. We where, because about. I had heard somebody else say, I can't remember the quote now, but yeah, that the expectation is like the biggest, the biggest driver of like disappointment, you know? Yes. And I was, I just thought, I was just like, man, that's weird. I mean, there's, we have to have expectations, right? I mean, what about expectations for ourselves, you know? But yeah, weird it's an interesting uh, idea. Well, I am a hundred percent on both sides of that. I want to set expectations. Like I have said to my daughter from, from day one, when she was a little kid, I was like, look, you teach people how to treat you. You set the expectation. This is what how I expect to be treated. This is this is that. So at, the, at on one hand, I'm telling her to expect this kind of behavior. Teach people how to treat you. Do this and do that. And then the other hand, I'm saying, let go of expectations. Be in the spirit. Enjoy each moment. La la la. So it's almost like there's a subtlety in that word. Yeah, mm-hmm. missing. You're thinking expectations of one thing, and she's saying expectations of something different. So. And that's it's probably a, it's the maybe there's some caveats. I think it's like both. I think it's both. Maybe you I can think. have expectations for yourself, but you can't put those same expectations on others. But then yeah. if you have them for yourself and you don't reach them, but you have this beautiful life, but because you expected it to look like this and it doesn't, then you're also missing that. So that's the part I'm, I guess, I guess I'm still struggling with it 22 years later is I know there's something to it. I know there's something to enjoying the journey, 
living in the moment, really being present for all of that and enjoying wherever you are at a given moment. And then I'm also a firm believer in having high expectations for yourself, letting other people know what you expect from them. So I I know part of the dichotomy of life. I it's, there's yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll figure out the answer to all that. One of those, one of those. <laughs> one of days. Days. I, and, and I'm not a big pot smoker or anything, but it kind of feels like we should go smoke. <laughs> <laughs> discussion like this is a this ponder, is, now. ponder the questions of life. <laughs> exactly. I think we need to solve the world's problems. Love it. That's what our podcast brings out of people. You know, the deep, deep philosophical ideas tied in. Well, okay. So Lori, I want to, I want to take a step back and get some background on, you know, I know that you're a top producing agent, um, but you also run a team. So maybe give us like a rundown of what your business currently looks like. That's, um, that's interesting because that is something that has drastically changed over just the last two weeks. So part of leaving Compass, I was very intentional about the fact that I only wanted to surround myself with people I was really, really close to. Basically, my daughter and her close friends and my daughters that are close by uh, right now. So I didn't want any longer to have that I didn't want to be responsible for others. So the team was kind of an accidental thing in a, in a nice way. Like I really want to be able to mentor people or even just provide an opportunity. So some people at the time compass was very strict about how many dollars you have to have done before you can come to compass. So I brought a lot of young up and comers over onto my team who were new in the business. And I just wanted them to have the opportunity to be at a good company, have the tools around them and then we'd have meetings on occasion and, and listen and learn and call me if you need some negotiating help or something like that. So I've never been a great and by no means a teacher or a trainer. I just want to be able to provide people an opportunity. I'm not the most patient. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to sit down and teach you X, Y, Z. You can come to lunch with me and we'll talk about how we solve this problem. You can We can listen in on phone calls and that kind of stuff. So the team was sort of accidental. Never really have made much money off it. Never really did much other than just have a nice group of people around. So over these last couple of weeks, as I was making the decision to come to Mile High Modern and focus a little bit more on the luxury side of business, I decided that I wasn't, it's not that I'm not cut out for it I because I do enjoy it, but I decided I really wanted, I've got to retire in 10 years. I have some family members and friends that are really close to me that need a little bit more time and attention. I have to put a certain amount in the bank and make a certain amount of money. I've got to focus on the exit strategy now over the next 10 years. And so I decided to basically not let the team go. They stayed And they're still a lot of them working as a team, but I just brought over my really close circle of people that have been in my life for years. So that's awesome. So I I do have a team. I have a team. We're still the Abbey Collection, but there's eight of us compared to, I think we were up to 23 people at one point. Mm. I think that, I, I mean, I think that's amazing. And I think what's really cool about that is it sounds like, it sounds like you've been really thinking through a lot of stuff this year. And what's really cool about that is when you start to kind of like line your life up in line with your values and like what you need to focus on, like it feels really good. So as as difficult as that decision probably was for you and those conversations for people that you love and care about, it probably feels like this is like the right thing and this is what I'm doing because this is what 
you know, I need to do. That's so weird that you say that because I never went into the office at Compass. In fact, like three times over the last three years, and this has nothing to do with Compass. It just has to do with the fact that I wasn't aligned exactly with what I wanted. I was just at that time surviving and making it through the day. You know how these last few years have been. And so the team just grew and I was growing and everything was growing and nothing was intentional. And so never went into the office, just, just did not do it. A couple of times I'd stop in to get something and literally didn't even know where my office was for real. People are like, yeah, when I have my name on it and everything. So I've been here now, Tuesday, we switched over. And I think this is my fourth or fifth day in the office. And we were talking about it yesterday that, oh, this just feels so right. And we feel now excited again, kind of what I was just saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Put that intention out there, realigned, as you're saying, with some of the things that are more important, got back to the basics, want to get excited about things again. And it just, it feels, it feels so different. So I'm curious to see how this is going to result in terms of, is it bigger numbers or maybe it's smaller numbers, but with people that are more aligned with my values and yeah. the client list that I've designed, I, you know, I don't a hundred percent know exactly what the next phase is going to look like, but like you said, it's starting to feel more aligned and starting to feel fresh again and bringing back some passion. And I think when you're fresh, when you're aligned, when you're passionate, good things so happen. True. And again, this happen. goes back to, the ex- expectation. I don't yeah. a thousand percent have an expectation about yet what it's going to look like. It may, I may do half the business, but at a higher dollar volume and only accept clients that fit in with my values and that make my yeah. life wonderful. I may start getting rid of people that are bringing stress. And I mean, obviously yeah. it's a stressful process, but I might be more selective. I don't a thousand percent know where it's going, but I know it's going in a really good direction because that's what I'm going for. And I'm going back to what's important to me and feels good to me. And only obviously as feeling like I'm a good person, if it feels good to me and it aligns with my highest and best self, it's going to be good for the people around me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. One thing I want to ask, I'm really interested in this because um, I'm just fascinated about people's like decisions to kind of change change careers. I came from education, but how did you get into real estate from, it sounds like you were doing sales previously, but how, like, how did that transition happen and why? It's not as super cool as you think. Um, um, (laughs) I was a single mom. I didn't marry my daughter's father or anything like that. And so he was in medical school across the country I was raising her. They would spend time together and that and and that, but I was with her 100% of the time. When she was younger and not involved in as many things, I mean, she started traveling with me. And if you watch her Instagram, she is a traveling freak. She <laughs> travels the world. Like it's her I favorite. I love that. That's awesome. And so she started traveling with me to my golf accounts. I was in the golf industry. She started traveling with me when she was five weeks old. I went down to visit Golfsmith in Austin and I sat there and I fed her with a bottle while I was dealing with the buyer and the VP of sales down there. And we were putting order together for their catalogs and for the stores. So she has always been kind of world travel like that with me and, and sat in on business meetings and, and consequently has turned out to be a very sharp girl because she's just been listening to all this for years. But so as she got older and older, she got involved in more activities. She was a tennis player and a gymnast and was in plays and that kind of stuff. So 
it was harder to take her with me places and I didn't want to leave her behind and I didn't want to miss her activities. So for yeah. a, a transition point, I hired my mom to be her nanny and, and my mom would come with us places and they would do homework and they would go see cool places while I was doing meetings. And so we were kind of a traveling family. And then again, as we, as she got even a little bit older, I think I got a call from Denver Public Schools one time wondering if there was something bad going on at the home because my daughter missed so much school. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, no, her dad lives somewhere else and I travel for a job. And, you know, and they're like, well, she, she's, she misses a lot of school. And I'm like, yeah, but she's, you know, she's a top student and she, she uh, travels the world and she's getting a different kind of education, but the education system did not love that. And so getting a call from social services and the Denver public school system and that kind of thing sort of made me think that maybe I should rethink my strategy a little, at least a little. I mean, I still value her traveling and having these experiences and coming totally. to meetings all over the country. But if she's in a play, she needs to go to play practice. If she's on a gymnastics team, she needs to be at gymnastics. So I, I, so I thought, okay, what can I do can I do where I can still make the kind of money that I want to make to provide the lifestyle that I want to provide, but be here in town. And so I started studying for my real estate license while I was working at a health club. So I quit and I did the PR and marketing for health clubs, Colorado athletic clubs at the time. Actually, I still are those. And so I did that and was working gradually towards my real estate license, meeting a great bunch of people, learning the town, doing cool stuff. And then as soon as I had uh, three things under contract, I quit the athletic club and jumped full force into real estate. And the rest is history. Well, <laughs> I, I, I asked this question a lot. So like how far in it, that's, that's awesome that you had those three under contract and that's what, that's when you took that leap. But like how far into real estate did you, did you get before you realized that you could like make it in this industry, you know, long-term as a successful career? That's kind of interesting I'll give you two, again, dichotomous answers because that's life, right? So from the very beginning, so I started in real estate when the market was down and I left a job with a nice base salary. I think it was a base salary of 80,000 insurance, everything else. And I left in 2009, 2010 when the market was down and everything was head homes and all that. Mm -hmm. And I left to go into real estate and everybody, literally everybody, the owner of the health club, everybody called me in and they're like, you're insane. This is ridiculous. Why on earth? You're a single mom. How can you possibly do this and start in a, not, in a full commission job, leave your insurance behind? Like, I don't even know what you're thinking. And I remember just thinking, oh, I'll be fine. I just need to do one transaction a month and I'll be fine and jump and the net will appear and all of those things. So from the very beginning, I just assumed I would be successful. And so I just always knew right off the bat, I was like, okay, whenever I've decided to do something, I've done it well. And I've figured out, like we talked about with the struggle, I figured out how to do it. So I just knew that because I had to succeed, that I would figure it just never crossed my mind that I wouldn't. Now, the flip side of that is about six months in doing HUD homes, showing 60 houses to even try to get one thing under contract, maybe making about $3 an hour. It felt like by the time I'd get my commission that you paid half to this person, half to that person, HUD, discounted, yeah. all of these millions of things. And I remember crying, thinking, oh, what was I thinking? This is terrible. How could I possibly do 
this. I'm going to starve to death. I'm a volunteer worker. This is horrible. And so there's the sad side of it. But then within a day or two of that, I did wake back up and go, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. if someone else can be successful doing this, if someone else can figure out HUD homes and foreclosures, if somebody can do this, uh, why couldn't I, why can't it be me? So I did have a couple days of sadness and life sucks and all that kind of stuff, but then woke up and said, nope, mm -mm. if she's doing it, she's doing it, she's doing it, I'm doing it, it's, it's happening. And so then kind of what was funny was from that point forward, my very first year, I did actually make more money in the down economy than I was making in the health clubs. Not as much as I was making in the golf industry, but as much more than the health club. So it was a good move. I've never looked back from that. But the funny part was I always thought I was better, not better than I was in terms of knew more. I always wanted to learn, but I just always assumed I was going to be successful. So we're laughing about one of the VPs here at Mile High Modern. I met her a year in and I was like, and she was assistant to Deborah Vallejo and all these builders and all this. And I was like, girl, you are fabulous. I want you to come work for me. And I look back at that and I'm thinking, and, and she is super, super smart and she was fabulous. And she was working for all these people that have been doing this 10, 15, 20 years. And she's probably like, who is this girl? <laughs> like that confidence. Yeah. So, I always thought I was already successful and was going to be successful. So I do think that's part of the key to it. Sure, um, absolutely. And I were talking about that because she's like, she goes, it was funny because you were new and you were warm. And she goes, but you were like, I need an assistant. I need someone at your level. We've got to do this now. And so, <laughs> so it's just a balance between confidence, but not being too overconfident, obviously, because, oh my God. People are crawling under tables so that they don't get. We're going to get a completely new backdrop for you here shortly. <laughs> we'll see I love like it. Yeah, just like dropping the back. Oh, that's awesome. So I think that confidence helped. We're coming from a different industry where I had been successful. And so I just knew I would transfer some of those skills over and then never letting anybody tell me that I could not do it, which literally everybody tried. And I did, I don't, I never once thought that anybody was trying to be unkind or tell me I wasn't going to be able to make it. They were legitimately worried. Like, what yeah. are you doing yeah. as a mom leaving well, and leaving that? And it's a competitive industry. You know, it always has been. I think you need that mentality though, of just go like shoot then aim, you know, just like, <laughs> that's uh, my motto. You know, take action. I know. And you're it's way better motto. at that than me. You've helped me. Like, I'm way more analytical. Yeah. But you know, I think that's, that's probably why you've been successful. What is the proudest achievement that, that you've had so far in business? Like, cause I, I know there's probably a lot just in life, but, or maybe it's both, but like, what, what, what are you the most proud of over these past 10 years or so since you've been in real estate? Here's one big thing that happened. I'm not 100% sure if it's the thing I'm the most proud of, but it is. it certainly was at the time. So I was four years in, maybe three and a half years into real estate. And I was at Remax and the CEO of Remax sent her son to Kel Kelly Lanford and I were working together at the time and, and sent her son as a buyer. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like we get to work with him and you know, she could choose from any agent in the entire world and certainly any agent here and we get to help. And that was because of Kelly and that was wonderful. And so I helped him and met Margaret Kelly, who was the CEO at the time and, and just so well known and well thought of. And I just remember thinking it was so fun. Well, they invite me to Elway's Kelly and I, I went off on my own. I was no longer a buyer's agent and was doing well. They invited me to Elway's to have lunch one day, Margaret and John Kelly, and they said, hey, 
you know, we want you to represent us as the buyer's agent. We thought you did a really good job. We really liked how you handled everything. And I'm pretty new and I'm like, what? It's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So they also had a house in Castle Pine. So this is where the kind of proud part. So I was already excited about that part. Found them a great place. Very excited. It worked out wonderfully. So then we're at the closing table and they're like, yeah, we're going to sell our house in Castle Pines in the spring, blah, 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 blah. And we're talking and I was like, well, who, who's going to sell it? And they're like, well, we're going to use one of the Castle Pines Remax agents. Obviously you're a Denver central agent. (laughs) And I was like, I said, okay, well, how about this? No pressure at all. But just because we like each other, how about I just interview for it? And just as like as a fun thing. And then you can critique, critique it and tell me what I could have done better and differently. Cause I wasn't, I hadn't done any luxury real estate at the time. And Margaret was like, let's do it. You know, we'll call you after the holidays and you can come just do like a little presentation. It'll be really cute. Basically was what she was saying. <laughs> so I'm sure you know where this is going, which is I am like, I am not stepping foot uh-huh. in that house without winning that listing. It is not happening. I don't care who they interview. No one is going to know more than I do about Castle Pines, about every house that has sold. So I was insane. First of all, I <laughs> got the luxury real estate, you know, that five-day course. I took that five-day oh, yeah, yep. luxury certified real estate agent gotcha. five days. Certification. Yeah. Yep. And then over the holidays, so this must have been, let's say, October, November-ish. And so we were good. I was going to their house the first of the first week of January. So then, oh my gosh. So I literally mapped out every house that had sold in Castle Pines. I had it separated out. I had them all printed out where they could open up. I had like how long did it sit on the market? How long did this last? I had an entire binder, like this thick of every house, days on market. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. blah. I I was like, nobody is going to know more than I do about Castle Pines. (laughs) (laughs) So I did all that. And then this is my favorite part. So then I was like, okay, they're going to ask me price per square foot, what I think it should sell for, blah, 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 blah. So I had like my casual conversation written on a, a piece of paper. Well, you know, these average price per square foot that looked most like yours is let's let's say 568 a square foot. And if I take that times your square footage, it's going to be approximately this. So the range is that. So I had all this memorized. So I just like whipped it out real quickly. I'm like, so here's what I'm thinking and la la la. And I laid it out and they were just like, okay. And so then at the end, so then in the luxury class, because I was a I'm not going to say I was a renowned discounter, but I did a lot. I did a lot of discounting stuff because I was newer, did a lot of HUD homes, you know, all that kind of stuff. So in the luxury class, they were like, do not discount commission for luxury people because they're going to say, if you'll discount for them, then you're not going to be in a good, good negotiator on their behalf. And so I was like, okay, so go in, I go in prepared. I do the whatever superwoman pose or whatever else. Like literally everything I could possibly do to prepare for this. So I walk in, go through the presentation. I think they were sitting there looking at me like, what? And I'm laying it out and things are highlighted and sticky notes and all this kind of stuff. And then I do my blah, 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 and this price per square foot and here's the range. And just a side note, the end of that story is obviously I got it. And the average price, the average days on market then was three years in Castle Pines. And we sold it in 
we were closed in 90 days, but. Wow. That's awesome. That is a proud moment. Ooh, I just, got I, I just kind of like pictured you when they opened the door, when you came in for the listing appointment and like fog in the background, like a strobe light, like just With like. Rocky music. Well, yeah, dun, dun, like, dun. It's, it's on. <laughs> that's awesome. But you got to do that. You know, like you do have to do that to win, you, <laughs> to win you, the deal. You do. And that's what I've been, that when, when I have mentored people, that is what I say. I'm like, don't let anyone be more prepared. Don't let anyone know more than you. No, I don't care how long they work there. I guarantee you nobody was as prepared when they walked in. So then at the end, they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll hire you. You know, can we get a discount on commission? I'm like, well, we could either do seven or we can do six. And that's it. At seven, I'll pay for some full page luxury ads and we'll get a front page in this. Or for six, we'll do all the above and beyond service. So I didn't give them a discount. In fact, I offered them an extra percent higher and they were like, okay. Now I knew they knew that I was brand new to luxury too. Right. So they were sort of playing with me a tiny bit, but they're like, all right, it's yours. At the end, I'm like, oh my God. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> really? so awesome. Like, you know, like any of those movies that you see, I was like, yeah, I thought you'd see it that way. And then I left going. I <laughs> <laughs> <So>, love that. <laughs> so I'd say that was probably my proudest woman. And then that led me, that was really the beginning of my, I don't want to say upswing because I was already on the way up, but that really both increased my confidence and my recognizability, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then people were taking me a little bit more seriously. I went to a big national thing where only people who made over 500,000 in commissions were invited to. It was, I think the captains or whatever it is for Remax. Mm, yeah. And, and they were, everybody was like, oh, you're the agent that sold Margaret Kelly's house. Oh my God. And, and I'm like, it was kind of embarrassing. Cause I'm like, I, I don't have any secrets or tricks or anything. So don't ask me any questions. Cause, uh, but but put so that, you on the map. It yes. puts you on the map. It's kind of like that Will Smith thing where it's like, where he talks about being on the treadmill. Right. Remember? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. I, I, it's, it, it's about hard work. Right? Yeah. I mean, I like, think that is the secret. I will, I, I, like, I will stay on this treadmill longer than everyone else. And like, I will die on this treadmill if I have to, to like, like, I think that's just working as hard as you possibly can to like, be successful. I mean, that's a huge piece. Looking back on your career or thinking about lessons, like what's one thing that you would have maybe done differently or like what's one really big lesson that you've learned from an experience? Oddly, the same exact transaction was one where I also learned a big lesson. I sold a house in Castle Pines, knew everything about Castle Pines, et cetera. But what I didn't know or understand, because I hadn't sold any 2 million plus homes yet at the time, I didn't understand things like easements. And there were some things that were a party to the transaction that I didn't know enough about. So looking back, maybe I should have brought in a, a partner to help with that. I ended up, we ended up solving all of the issues and I ended up giving away all my commission on the second half of their land because I cost them some money by not understanding an easement. And so I just like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Oh, it's the worst. It's so hard. And it's, I think the hardest part, you know, we talk about this a lot, but it's really experience. Like you have to, you can't, you can't prepare for every single thing that's going to come up. I mean, in life, right? Like, or in a transaction. And so I think 
going through those experiences and like taking things away from that experience is, is really, really important. And just continuing to like add to your, add to your feather in the cap. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. feather in the cap. Feather in the cap. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Seriously. Know, right? What the, what the hell is a feather in a this cap? Is, you you <laughs> gave me shit for saying I'm going to draw a bath by the way too, which is also another yeah, hold on. thing. Lori. Not that I like draw. It was for the kids. I don't go. He's like, I'm going to go anymore. draw a bath. I know. Like, are you an old English grandma? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm yeah. Very Excuse proper. I guess. Me? <laughs> I want to have you on again though. Like I honestly feel like we could talk for like a couple hours, but I'm going to throw one more question at you and then we'll end it after that. All right. Last question, Lori. If you could write a book tomorrow, what would you write that book about? Interesting that you would ask that because I'm actually working on topics to write a book tomorrow. Oh, really? Love okay. It. Okay. Uh, so it's in the earlier phases, but it's going to be, you know, how we've got the French for dummies and the fixing faucets for dummies and all that kind of stuff. It's not that because that's already been done, but it's more along the lines of, a 30-day reset, whether it's a 30-day reset for your career, which is what we've been talking about a lot and how you get back to the basics and get the passion back again and that kind of stuff. But then also a 30-day reset for relationships, a 30-day reset with your friendships, whatever it is. So I'm trying to figure out a title that hasn't already been way overdone, but really about getting your passion back for anything and your enthusiasm back in 30 days and what types of things you need to do to go there. And as I was saying, the reason this is coming up is because I really had lost my sort of excitement about a lot of things and thought, okay, what do I need to do Where, when I had that passion and excitement and enthusiasm what was I doing differently in my life? And even if you think about the beginning of relationship, when you have all the passion and the excitement and the enthusiasm, and I don't even want to have sex every day, all, all of those things that you do, you never say no to anything. They want to go on a walk at six o'clock in the morning. You're like, sure, you know, whatever, I'll do that. You want to try this restaurant? Sure. Then 10 years go by and they're like, do you want to try this restaurant? And you're like, Ugh, I'm so tired. I just got back from a long day at work and blah, 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 blah. So it's no wonder that you sort of lose that passion for that relationship because you stop doing the things that you did at the very beginning because you always think, well, I'll do that tomorrow. Next week, I'll be a little bit better at this. And then the same thing happens with a career. I went along for the last 10 years doing it a certain way, got burnt out, wasn't feeling it. And then over the last six to eight weeks have said, let's get that excitement back. What are the things that are costing me excitement? What are the things that are bringing me excitement? And what are the things that brought me excitement at the beginning? And let's do that. And what, what's a miracle? All of those things that I just talked about have brought back that, boy, I'm in the office. We're trying this. We're learning how to do TikTok. You know, we're doing all these things again. And I want to know everything about this. And yesterday I was learning about everything in the marketing center. When have I ever learned something about the marketing center in years? Like I'm sitting down, you know, trying new things. So love that. So I want a book on like a series of books on going back to the basics and, and becoming that excited, curious, young, fun, hungry beautiful, passionate version of yourself in any, pl in any place in life that you are. I absolutely I love that. I can't wait to read Do it. it. Do it. Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> Lori, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. We got to do this again. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like this video on the platform that you're watching it on. We love and appreciate everyone's support. Until next time, have a great day. 
Thank you guys so much. This was so fun. See ya. Bye.